The Theonauts, episode 101. The one where David is nursing his wounds from a way too literal reading of Matthew 5.30. The Theonauts Podcast. Christian news from around the globe. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. It is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search out a matter. Explore the vast reaches of God's word. Hello, all you Theo Centurions out there. Nice. I'm David Gaddy. I'm Jeremiah Orr. Together we are the, the Theo Nods. Hey, David. Hey. So that was my that was my uh, my Theo thing for last week. Oh yeah, Theo Centurions. Yeah. So you got to say it this time. Yeah, I had. And I had it to has wait. nothing to do with what we're talking about. It, absolutely nothing. Okay. I was just I was just doing that because uh, Philip came up with that. Sure. Patron Saint Philip. Thank you. Thank you. And Patron nailed it. He was like, "That's what it should have been." So that's what it was. All right. Good. So, what's happening? Rewriting history. Yep. Yeah. Starting all the way back at <laughs> 101. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's just like, welcome to Bible Interpretation 101. <laughs> With your hosts. With they, your hosts, the Theonauts. That's great. How's life been treating you? Good, good. I, you know, great. It's summer. I'm getting geared up to go back to school. Baby's in the car right now. Baby's in the car. Oh, no. Hold on. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, uh, let me fix my mic back up. No, uh, you know, she's sleeping. Hopefully she stays asleep while we're doing Theonauts. So let's be really quiet. Yeah, you think that's going to help? No. (laughs) No, baby Blakely's doing awesome. I took her to the bird's nest for the first time two days ago. Yesterday it was it was yesterday. Yeah, no, day before, day before yesterday. Yeah, that's right. And we partied up here with some coffee. That's right. Got she her all enjoyed wired it. Up. Yeah, she loves coffee, David. She's crazy about it. Gave her a quadruple shot of espresso. <laughs> who who knew my one and a half month old would love coffee? <laughs> I'm having a little trouble putting her to bed at night, but other than that, it's, it's great. Nah. She's got that wide-eyed look. Yeah. Wild wide-eyed. <laughs> <laughs> Wonder what's on her mind. Oh, man. I do. I lay down, and I'm like looking at her, and she's looking back at me with this quizzical look, and I'm like, what are you thinking? And probably her thinking is, I've got to poop. Yeah. But other than that, it's, it's fun. A little bit of gas. Yeah. But I'm enjoying it. That's right. <laughs> got to enjoy that gas somehow. Well, so we enjoyed having Michael and Brendan on the show last week. That mm-hmm. was a fun little impromptu thing. Yeah. We didn't, we didn't plan that out very well. That just happened. They hit it out of the park. Yeah. They did a great job. We were, it was great. We were blessed to have them. So it was, uh, yeah, it was a good, good hundredth episode. So here we are all the way back at the beginning. Because mm-hmm. we're doing the same thing we did on episode one. We are. Basically. And that's so cool. I, I think this is great. We're revisiting in a very important topic. About this is by uh, suggestion. Yeah, this is what Michael suggested last week that we we do more episodes about this. Right. So we're uh, we're gonna go into put on your theological hat, some hermeneutical studies. Right. Yeah. All right. Let's do it. (laughs) 
Should I talk in a British accent the entire time? Because I feel like this is such a fancy word, hermeneutics, that I'd like to speak in fancy terms. Did you bring the cigars? Yes, the cigars and the brandy Mm -hmm. Mm. and our smoking jackets. Praise God, brother. Praise God, yes. For good cigars and good brandy. And beards. And beards. (laughs) Cigar, brandy and beards. Charles Haddon Spurgeon would be oh so thrilled. Oh, yes. <laughs> and Ron of the Red Oaks is thrilled that we're bringing the, the accents back. That's right. He loves our accents. He thinks it's wonderful. <laughs> right, Ron? You love those right. accents. <laughs> well, I... <laughs> wow. This is kind of a... This is the uh, one of those big word episodes, mm-hmm. uh, but we'll try and not be too big-headed or big-worded. I it's think, a $10 word episode. Right. In our first episode, we actually called it How to Study the Bible, right? Yeah, yeah. Or, you know, different ways of studying the Bible. And so... Or how to understand it. Right, or how to understand <laughs> it, how to interpret the Bible. Yes. And so, basically, that's that's what hermeneutics means, is the interpretation of Scripture. Actually, yes. hermeneutics Who means, was this Herman guy? <laughs> good question. Herman I'm Munster. Herman Melville, right? Yeah. Yeah. Wrote... I yeah. don't know. Call fancy. me Ishmael. Call me Ishmael. That's right. Moby Dick. No. No, it is not from Herman Melville. Actually, it's really With interesting. All my hate, I cast my heart at thee. <laughs> wow. Never mind. Go ahead. That's great. It's actually, I, so I was doing some study on uh, where the word hermeneutics came from. Mm-hmm. And uh, so have you ever heard of the god Hermes? Yes. That's uh, Mercury. Yes. Same root. Pretty much. Mercury, or Hermes, was the messenger of the gods, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So he would carry a message from God to common man, right? He's the guy that has the flash helmet, basically. Yeah. <laughs> so the flash The is, flash has the Hermes helmet. Yes, sorry, my bad. Or the Mercurian. Mercurian, that's right. Helmet. So Hermes is the Greek word for him, Hermes, mm-hmm. um, was the god of messages, and basically the god of the inventor of language, speech, mm-hmm. um, and the interpreter of language. So that's where we get this whole idea of hermeneutics. Basically means the interpretation of language. And you can do hermeneutical studies on any book. Yeah, Plato. Right. Socrates, Aristotle. These are all people do hermeneutical studies on mm-hmm. their philosophical writings. Beowulf. Beowulf, exactly. <laughs> even, even uh, I, I don't know, even The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, or uh, <laughs> you can do hermeneutical studies on any book you read. But usually whenever somebody's talking about hermeneutics, they're talking about religious works, yes. in particular scripture. That's because interpretation is more important when you're, when you're immortal soul. <laughs> there is such thing as an immortal soul. <laughs> that's not uh, even gonna go there. That's for another day. <clears throat> yeah, but yes, so, when when your soul hangs in the balance, yes, this is a where very eternity thing. is it is at play. Yes, it's important that we get these words correct or right. right. And <clears throat> honestly, the Bible is one of the most difficult in a lot of ways books to comprehend and understand. For well, out of all individual. ancient texts ever written. It's the most uh, prolific. Uh, prolific. Yes, it's everywhere. Yes. Everyone's got it. Right. And everyone reads it. Number one bestseller ever. Yeah. I mean, it's like, and so everyone is like, is reading this. Right. Some of them. Thanks some, to your good friend Tyndale. Yeah. And some people have, <laughs> you know, third grade education. Yes. 
and I'm not, not to knock anybody down. There are people with lower education. They're reading this. Right. There are people with higher educations that are reading it. Yeah. So you've got this huge scale of people. The the the, the non-educated all the way up to the most highly educated people in the world, and they're all reading it and trying their best to understand it. Right. So this isn't about. This isn't to say you've got to be highly educated to understand the Bible. Right. But the simple fact that everyone in every class and every type of, of, of uh, position in life is reading this thing, mm-hmm. I think that's why there are so many interpretations. Because you've got so many people coming from edit from so many different angles, well, different traditions, cultural different... backgrounds, racial backgrounds. <clears throat> you have yeah, different definitely different educational backgrounds mm-hmm. reading this scripture, and so one person can read Matthew five twenty for example is a great great example. Jesus says, "If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off." Right. Right. So. You it's know, an imperative statement. Yes, an imperative statement. So how many of us are walking around with <laughs> one arm? And the answer is hopefully none of us. But the reality is, is if you read that as an imperative statement and you take it, it literally... It's a command. It's a command. If you take it literally, then, uh, you know, then you could come away with some pretty radical ideas about cutting off your hand. And right. so... And that's just a one little minute thing. You can go throughout scripture and you can see all these different imperatives, right. uh, what your commands or, or you know, uh, suggestions or all these different metaphors and, uh, you know, um, poetry. I mean, the reality is the scripture is full of all different types of writing, mm-hmm. different authors and yeah. different types of writing. So how do we translate? How do we correctly divide the word of God, so right, to speak, right? right? And that's a big, big undertaking, a big challenge. And and that's, uh, you know, going back to that verse that, that you alluded to there is uh, 2 Timothy 2 and 15, mm-hmm. where it says to, I'm going to go back to my King James roots, study to show thyself approved, yes, a workman, workman needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Yes. Okay, so... Um, that even that oh, statement yeah. in and of itself can be taken several different ways. In, right. f- in fact, if you go into a um, a word study and look at what that word, the word study means in the Greek, it doesn't mean hit the books as we think of it. It means be diligent. So, you know, like, uh, 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 so when it says study, to show yourself approved. It doesn't mean open up the Bible and read it. What it's saying is strive for this. Right. Strive for the mastery of being approved by rightly dividing the Word of God. Right. And even then you can look at, okay, so what is the Word of God there? What's it talking about? Yeah. Is it talking about the entire Word of God? So who's writing it? Mm-hmm. What's the context? Mm-hmm. When was it written? Right? You have all that. And, uh, and so... You could come away with some pretty interesting thoughts there. The New Testament wasn't even a thing. Right. It's in the New Testament. Right. So right. Is, is it talking about the entire Yeah, because specifically uh, Paul is talking to Timothy about the Old Testament, that we call it the Old Testament. Right, the Old Testament, which wasn't coined term. Doesn't mean that the principle doesn't apply to right. what he was writing at that moment, which we now call Scripture. Yeah. 
but at the time he was referring specifically to. So, so it's all over the map. And if you get if you go there, then you have to go. Okay, so what was the? If we're if we're talking about the Old Testament, we're talking about how to rightly divide that. What was Paul's take on that? Because he was trained as a uh, a Pharisee, right? I, th- I think his take was mainly Pharisee. to be um, understanding prophecy of, of the Messiah. Yeah, I think that was primarily what he was referring. That to. That was the focus. Um, you know, but you you got to understand Talmudic. Com- hermeneutics. They had 13 principles of rightly dividing the Word of God, (laughs) right? But nobody knows that today. Yeah. You know, and so it's it's really interesting. Yeah. I mean, the the Jewish rabbis had their own their own home home take on on scripture. Okay, so a couple of the big words, and we've used them many times on on the Theonauts, mainly because they're so important. Uh, Exegesis. Yes. The verb form being to exegete, or actually that's also a noun for the person who who gathers right from the scriptures is an exegete so uh, exegesis is about uh, drawing and learning from the scriptures okay that's what that word m- means right uh, sometimes we'll use this term isogesis an isogete which a person who who does that is bringing their own understanding to the scripture and making it mean something that it doesn't that that wasn't the author's intent right but they fool themselves into thinking it is what the author intended mainly because that's what their tradition teaches so you can eisegete you can you can you can do that as well okay so now how does this differ between this term hermeneutics (laughs) so a hermeneutics uh is your tool that you use to exegete, in other words. Right. So hermeneutics is your method of getting the data from the scriptures. Uh, I think it was uh, D.A. Carson that, that said this. Um, he said, hermeneutics stands in the same relationship to exegesis that a rule book stands to a game. The rules are not the game, and the game is meaningless without the rules. Hermeneutics proper is not exegesis, but exegesis is applied hermeneutics. So that's still kind of wordy, but what he's basically saying is, okay, let's look at the game of baseball. The rules are not the game of baseball, right? but the game of baseball is the rules applied. Right. So you're not standing there reading your Dixie Dixie rules on the pitcher's mound and playing baseball. You're playing baseball when you're actually playing the game and then, you know, somebody calls a strike or a ball or somebody calls safe or out. Right. You're playing by the rules. So exegesis is actually playing the game mm-hmm. correctly. Right. Right? And hermeneutics is the rule book to tell us how to exegete. Right. Yeah, that's good. And so, uh, so what is what are the rules? What what should we play by, or what have people played by and messed up the game in the past? Right, and and that's a huge question because um, there are all kinds of hermeneutics. Yeah, um, hermeneutics doesn't necessarily imply. Um, I mean, it's an amoral term, so it doesn't necessarily mean good or bad. Right. But there are both. There are bad hermeneutics. There are good hermeneutics. And so um, the, 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 the scholars for years and years and years have come up with methods that are good ways of interpreting um, ancient texts. Right. And there have been 
traditions and traditions of bad hermeneutics that, that show their, their face. So, for example, I'm going to give you a very plain, simple, flat hermeneutic. Okay, In other words, <laughs> when I say flat hermeneutic, that basically means no real hermeneutic at all. It's just, okay, when somebody says, the Bible says it, I believe it, That's that settles so, it. Yeah. You know, usually that's a flat hermeneutic because they're not using any interpretive method. They're not looking to see, okay, when was this written? Who's it written to? What was it written about? What was the point? What was the the author trying to convey when he said X, Y, Z? And does that same context fit my personal context today in what we're doing and uh, there's tons of things oh, yeah. that go into understanding the scriptures. And all of those are tied to your hermeneutic. So a flat hermeneutic is basically when you just say, no, you know what? It says right there and you, okay, <clears throat> another good example. And I think we may have used this one on the show before too, but there's a story, you know, it's the the old proverbial story of the guy flipping through the Bibles. I, I don't know what to do with my life, so I'm just going to trust what the Bible. I'm just going to flip the page open and put my finger on a verse, and whatever it says, that's what I'm going to do. And he puts his, his finger on the verse, and it says, then Judas went out and hung himself. <laughs> and the guy's like, oh, wait a minute. Okay, I must have missed something there. So he starts flipping through the Bible again, and he sticks his finger on the verse, and it says, uh, go and do thou likewise. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so he starts flipping through the Bible again, frantic, more frantically, you know. Yeah, because he doesn't want to hang himself. <laughs> Go his, and do likewise, right? Puts his finger on a verse <laughs> and it says, um, uh, what you do, go do quickly. <laughs> So now the guy can falsely assume the Bible's telling him to hang himself. Yep. But that's not what it's saying no. because he's because that's a flat hermeneutic. You're right. just simply reading a passage out of context and trying to apply it someplace that doesn't belong. Yep. And that has happened countless times. Yeah. In the history of Christianity and in the history of of um, of the world, really. Yeah. And I I think <clears throat> it bears um, importance to say this again. Uh, and I said this in our first episode ever, the Bible is a powerful book, mm -hmm. extremely powerful. In fact, it contains, the, for me, the words of God mm -hmm. given to man, okay? So they that's, that's power right there. Right. And it can be like a, a shotgun in the hands of a five-year-old, <laughs> if, if done wrongly. Right. Um, you have and, to aim it in the right place before you pull the trigger. Exactly. And not only that, but many people have used the Bible, exploited the Bible for their own gain. Um, and many people have killed using the Bible, mm -hmm. enslaved using the Bible. Right. Um, stolen and, 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 and raped using the Bible. Yeah, the, the whole Crusades thing was based on Bible teaching. Exactly. Uh, all the the um, the Inquisitions. Yeah, and if, if you look in our modern times, Jim Jones, you know, based on David Koresh. David Koresh, based on Bible teachings, and mm -hmm. um, it's so it's it's a very Adolf Hitler for crying out loud. Yeah, that's right. So it's a very uh, important thing to understand how to rightly divide God's word to understand. What what you should uh, get out of it, and to understand um, what 
you know, is not there. So, <laughs> anyways, now that we've we've prefaced that, um, well, we've done a lot of of um, of things in the past talking about um, verses that are misused. Mm-hmm. We've, we've got a, a, an episode on that. We did an episode on words that are misused. Right. Um, so, and all of these are stemming from bad hermeneutics. Yeah. And because what people do is they read it and then they think they know what it means without doing any other study. Right. And it leads to all kinds of misunderstandings. Yep. So do you have any uh, recommendations for good hermeneutics before we jump into it? Uh, sure. First off, um, hang on one second. Let me pull my reference back up. So there's um, <clears throat> when uh, 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 there are some sound principles that we need to be applying. Sure. Whenever we... Uh, build our hermeneutic. Uh, we need to, we need to answer these certain questions, and I already mentioned some of them, but but here they are in a little more concise way. Who was the writer? And you might think, okay, well, Paul's the writer, but that's not a question. That's not the answer to the question necessarily. Right? Who was Paul? What's Paul's background? Where does he come from? Uh, wh- how does he think? How does he talk? How does he teach? These. You need to know who is... Now, sometimes that's not readily available. We don't know who wrote, for example, the book of Hebrews. Right. We got some good guesses, but we don't know for sure. sure. For sure. So that, so sometimes that's in the dark. So that can't be your only basis of, sure. of your hermeneutic. But, it, but it's a sound place to start is to, to know who's writing this. Right. And let me stop you right there. It's really interesting. You know, you, you can go, well, Paul wrote it, but... Then other people are like, I don't need to know who wrote it. God wrote it. Right. Right. Which is that flat hermeneutic again. Exactly. And the reality is God inspired it. Paul wrote it. Okay. So the reality is God used that human author Mm -hmm. and everything that was going on with that human author in order to... Uh, to to give us the book, so we absolutely need to know who wrote it or try to understand who wrote it. Right. Um, so who wrote it? Who were they writing to? Because that has a big. Okay. Huge. For example, the Book of Corinthians, both books of the Corinthians, are written to Greeks in in Corinth in Greece. Okay, which had a completely different culture. Right. Than say. Hebrews written to Hebrews or Galatians written to primarily Hebrews or at least dealing with Hebrew problems, Jewish problems. So it is important to know your audience. Paul's going to tell the Corinthians things he doesn't tell the, um, the Galatians. And he's going to tell the Galatians things he doesn't necessarily tell the Corinthians. Why? Because there are certain issues in certain cultures that he's dealing with and he addresses things based on who he is he's talking to. Um, the choice of words, uh, the significance of, of the words that are chosen, and uh, is specifically in a, in a certain passage, <clears throat> there's a lot of people I know that go, I don't need to know Greek. Do you think I need to know Greek to understand the Bible? Well, no, but it's good for you to know that the Bible was not written in English. Right. And something has been lost in the translation. I don't care how good of a translation it is. Something's been lost in that. So it is at least good for you to know <laughs> what the original intent 
was by looking at what the original words were exactly. and doing some research to see, okay, why did the translator, that in my favorite translation, why did he choose the word, you know, only begotten? Right. You know, and things like that. Um, because when you look at terms like that, for example, you'll see that that's not necessarily the only way to define that word. Um, and there are a lot of other words like that. Um, so, you know, agape, phileo, these are words that they get translated one way in English, but they could have deeper meanings based on, on what it is that the author was trying to say. Uh, another thing that you need to, to take in consideration, another question you need to, to ask yourself is what is the cultural or historical context in which this is being written? Right. So you need to, it's really, and that kind of goes into what, who it was being written to. Uh, once again, that's important to know. What is the Greek culture? What was the Jewish culture? Why is it important that he's saying, uh, why is he mentioning things off the cuff like uh, worshiping angels? Yeah. You know, and, and we read that and we go, no, we don't know anybody that worships, worships angels. angels. So what's he talking about? Well, that's a direct reference to Gnostic Aeonism and all that, and all that weird stuff that uh, was happening was prevalent at the time in the area of Ephesus and, and where, where, where these things were being talked about right. and, and, and written to Colossians is one of the places where this comes up. And that's in that area where this was an issue. Um, so it's important to know the historical and cultural context. Uh, it is also helpful when, especially when you're reading some of these imperatives and you just want to read them as a flat hermeneutic and say, well, he said it, I'm going to do it because he said it. Um, and you take this command to yourself when he's referring to a specific cultural issue of the day in many cases. And so you have to be wise about... Now, there's a flip side of that. Right. You don't want to go to overboard and say, well, it was all written to a bunch of Greeks, and I'm nothing like them people, so I don't have to do anything it says. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, I mean, you can see how this can get twisted really quick and why Christianity has so many splits and divisions and... And this sort of thing. Sure. Um, we need to know um, how the author's contemporaries understood him. So, in other words, when Jesus, okay, we've taken in, we've taken in consideration that Sermon on the Mount. Jesus, who's he talking to? Oh, he's talking to a bunch of Jews. Right. Right. So it helps us to know what a Pharisee is. It helps us to know what a Sadducee is. Right. It helps us to know what a publican is. Right. I mean, these are things in their culture, and it also helps to know how they in that culture would hear him. Right. So, in other words, this is not necessarily Jesus talking to David Gaddy in the 21st century, <laughs> although there may be principles that David Gaddy may need to listen to. Right. <laughs> but, but we need to also focus on, okay, how would... David Ben Her or whoever. <laughs> nice. <laughs> How would he hear Jesus sitting at the foot of the mountain? Right. For a great example of that in the uh, the Sermon on the Mount is uh, one of them is when he when he's talking about uh, if a person comes and um, asks you to um, what is it to walk a mile, walk a mile, yeah. go the extra mile. <clears throat> mm -hmm. What you know. We read that and we go, okay, walk a mile, go the extra mile. 
But they understood a completely different thing. Roman soldiers would walk up to them and say, carry my pack. And you would have to walk a mile carrying their pack. You were bound under law to do that. Right. But you weren't bound under law to walk two miles. And Jesus is actually saying, walk two miles instead of one and blow them away with your love and your charity. Right. And actually cause them to break the law. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because they couldn't legally ask you to go further than a mile. Right. So <laughs> it's a big deal, yeah. you know, or whenever Jesus, uh, they ask him, how should we pray? And he says, when you pray, pray like this, our father in heaven, that was a milestone to them. Yeah. Cause they'd never heard in their Jewish culture ever to result. He was Lord. Right. He's Lord. He's Adonai. He's, yeah. He's, not... he's Yahweh. Yeah. You know, he's not our father. What in the world? You know, yeah. that was a, you know, a mind bending thing for them. And so you don't get these inferences unless you actually study the culture. And if you're going to be a, a pastor, a preacher worth his salt, if you're going to mm-hmm. be a teacher of God's word worth his salt, then you're going to need to go into these cultural and, things. And this comes in real handy, too, whenever you start getting into some symbolic and and signified language. Yeah. Um, for example, parables and, and whatnot. When Jesus starts talking in riddles, it helps to know how the people were listening and how the people would have heard it, not necessarily you right. sitting in your lazy boy chair, you know, 2,000 years later hears it, but how they would have heard it. Matthew 13 is a perfect example of this. He gives seven kingdom parables. The kingdom of heaven is like unto, and then he goes off into these little parables. Um, now, one of those parables is, I mean, some of them are very cryptic, and it's kind of it's kind of frustrating because at the end of all this, Jesus asked his disciples, do you understand what I'm saying? And they go, oh, yeah, we got it. And you just want to slap those guys right. and be like, because he only interpreted a couple of the parables. parables uh-huh. The other ones are kind of left up to our interpretation to understand what he was saying. Right. So one of those is the one where he says, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a woman who put leaven into three measures of meal. Okay, now, in the 20th, 21st century, what's that mean to us? We have no idea. <laughs> like, we get our le- we get our bread from the store. It's yeah, already it, leavened. It's already leavened. We don't have to we don't have to deal with that. We don't right. know what that is. Um, well, obviously, if you go back to the culture, you start to find out that the Jews saw leaven as a sinful. It was a synonym for sin. It was an allegory for sin. Right. And so that helps you to understand. Okay, I see a little bit about Jesus saying. But what if you knew that in their culture, three measures of meal was also an allegory for a fellowship offering. That's what Abraham did in Genesis 18 right. and 19 when he saw the three visitors, and one of which is our Lord. Right. And uh, the he, other two, the angels. he tells Sarah, prepare three measures of meal. Well, after that, it became customary then to prepare three measures of meal as an offering to visitors right. that you offered fellowship to. And so... Here's the cool thing. When we read that that kingdom parable, we go, oh, okay, three measures of meal, eleven, whatever. I mean, what would you <laughs> That's a good thing. Uh, you know, whatever. But they, his listeners, sitting there listening, Jews sitting there listening to him, hear this woman just put sin in the fellowship offering. Yep. There, there would have been an audible gasp. <gasps> what? What do you mean the kingdom of heaven's like that? That's <laughs> that's scary, you know? And and so these are our insights you need to know to get a fuller understanding yeah. of, of what the passages are, are meaning. Okay, 
Um, and then another thing that we need to ask ourselves is why is he saying it the way that he's saying it? Why, why is he writing this in the manner in which he's writing it? Um, so in other words, why is John talking in weird symbols in the book of Revelation that doesn't make any sense to me? Right. Or why, you know, why is Jesus talking in parables? Well, he actually tells them why. Uh, in that exact chapter I was talking about, Matthew 13, he talks about, I'm speaking to them. Here's the, here's the interesting thing. Jesus started that parable thing in Matthew 13. Yeah. Before then, he talked, he talked very plainly to the people. Think of the Sermon on the Mount, what he was saying there. It was very clear. You know, right. don't lust, you know. I mean, he was, he was being pretty clear with them. Straightforward, yeah. But then it gets to this point after chapter 12 where he gets accused of being a servant of the devil and all this other sort of thing. It's almost like Jesus gets mad at the people and goes, fine, you don't want to listen to me? Here, I'll put in a bunch of riddles for you. <laughs> and I grew up thinking I was being told that parables were cute little stories that helped you understand things better. Right, and here you are. But I don't think that's what he was doing. Yeah, He was, he was speaking in riddles because the disciples were saying, what are you talking about? I mean, they were re- literally freaking out going, what do you mean? What, why, right. why are you talking to them in riddles? And that's whenever he had to say, he had to quote Isaiah 6 and say, you know what? If they heard me truly and understood me, then I'd have to heal them right now, and I can't do that. <laughs> so, so anyway, it's, it's good to know w- why people are saying what they're saying and how they're saying it. Right. Um, so there are some general rules of, um, of hermeneutics that are important, and one of which is, is to keep in mind that there is one original interpretation. Right. Always one interpretation. I, you know, I, I hold to that. And there are a lot of people that argue against me on that. Mm-hmm. You know, you can interpret scripture. You know, in my my argument is no authorial intent. intent you know what I mean? What mm-hmm. the what what God was trying to say? There's there's only one interpretation. Yeah. And I think there are some powerful um, meanings. There are other meanings in some of what is being said. Like there's a lot of double meanings and triple yeah. meanings mm-hmm. in some of the passages, especially the Old Testament. Yeah, the Old Testament is full of, of signs that. Uh, yeah, because there are types and symbols and all this sort of thing that the authors are intending to make it mean more than one thing. Right. Uh, but I guess what what I mean by one or- original interpretation is that whenever you hear an imperative statement or whatever being made in the New Testament. Um, you need to really know what the author's intent was. Mm -hmm. What's he trying to say? Uh, You can't wipe that out and go, it doesn't really matter what he was meaning at that time. What it means to me today is this. Yeah. And um, take the, take the you out of it. Right. Yeah. I want to hit on that a little bit later, but take the you out of it. Yeah. So there's one. So yeah, understand that there's a reason that the text was being written right. and try to find what that reason is. The book of Romans is a perfect example for me because I grew up reading Romans, Galatians in bite-sized pieces. Mm-hmm. Part of this is the is the fault of Jerome for giving us chapter breaks and part of it is those Genevan Presbyterians <laughs> Dad gum you Genevan <laughs> Presbyterians <laughs> that that decided to put verse numbers in there. 
Right. Because because now we're eating the Bible in bite-sized chunks. We're not we're not consuming it in whole, right? Right. So I grew up reading writings like Romans and Galatians in bite-sized pieces, not catching the intent of the latter. Right. Okay, it's a bigger piece. Don't just read the wages of sin is death and move on. Right. Let's back up from the the text a little bit and see, okay, what is chapter six saying? Oh, it's in reference to what he just taught in chapter, chapter five, five and yeah. verse in chapter four. And, and then you start to see this narrative happening. And so we have to know that there is an understanding right. that he's trying to get across. Okay. Yeah. Uh, another good rule is make sure you regard the genre. Let's <laughs> see. That's a, it's such a big deal. People don't realize, you know, it, if if it's written, so Revelation is written as, you know, apocalyptic. It, it's it's written as, um, what's it called? Um, <laughs> now I don't Eschatology? Even, yeah, es- well, eschatology, but oh, what's, what are they? Prophetic. It's prophetic literature, mm-hmm. right? So you need to regard that as prophetic literature. Right. So in prophecy, what 90% of prophecy is... Is either allegory, or it's um, um, uh, simile or metaphor. Right, right. It's it's not meant. Ninety percent of that is not meant to be taken literally. Mm-hmm. Right. So you read about the beast. You read about all those different things that are happening with the yeah. the seven bowls. Are there seven bowls? <laughs> really? Like physically, the four winds of the earth. Right. All mm-hmm. that stuff. It's all symbology, right? And uh, you look at the Old Testament, look at Proverbs, okay? Yeah. Or uh, in Psalm. Psalm is, is poetry, okay? Yeah. It's all poet. It's poetry. So think about poetry yeah, and, for a and, second. Well, Proverbs is wisdom, is wisdom language. Exactly. And proverbial things. Right. So, you know, I, I saw a really good example of this. Some preacher was doing it with... Um, one of our uh, famous Christian musicians. What's his? Oh, oh, what is his name? The guy that wrote "How He Loves Us." Oh, you know that David, whatever his name is. Anyways, <laughs> he had that guy up on stage, and he's playing music, right? Yeah. And he's like, okay, so imagine if all your music that you listened to was was literal, word for word music, right? So. I walk down the street and I, you know, gotcha. Yeah, exactly. Right, right. Instead of poetry, like uh, your eyes are the sun in bloom. You mm-hmm. know, your uh, your nose is, you know, is like a tower, like of Lebanon. a tower of Lebanon, right? <laughs> so this is poetry, and right. and that's another good point. You know, a lot of this poetry we're not gonna get. <laughs> Because it's cultural. It's cultural, right? Right. It's 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 meant for that culture. Yeah. So for us to and don't go, get us wrong, we're not saying the Bible doesn't apply to me or no. doesn't apply to us in any way. I'm saying be cognitive of what who he's talking right. to because that has an impact on whether or not things apply. You can't go well. Solomon's chick must have had a gigantic nose, right? right? <laughs> you, know, you don't do that after right. reading that. You yeah. go okay. So he's talking about the beauty well, of his because you have to be asking yourself: Is the Bible here? In this particular text, is it being prescriptive or descriptive? 
So in other words, is it describing something in the culture or is it being prescriptive telling me what I need to do? Yeah. And, and, and so there's all these literary devices and, and, and whatnot in there, but also there's this, the genre. Like, for example, a passage might be legal. It might be a legal passage. Yeah. The Ten Commandments or whatever. I mean, there's... So, the law, yeah. Right. So, and you might have... So you've got legal passages. You've got narratives that are historical. You've got uh, poetry, as you mentioned. There are wisdom state- statements. Right. Uh, you know, train up a child in a way he should go, and when he's old, he won't depart from that. That's a proverb. That's not an imperative statement. No. That's not telling you. It's not commanding you. Treat a child like this, and he will never, under any circumstances, ever go astray. Yeah. That's not what it's saying. It's a it's a wisdom passage. It's it's about Solomon tells you the first of that book. These are passage. These are things to make you wise, and to make you grow, and to make you. And so the advice upon which I'm telling you to be wise and to be to is is to tr- is to train a child in the way she go etc right. so it's we have to look at it as not being prescriptive but descriptive yeah of of these are generalizations these are proverbs okay so we have to read them differently than you would read the ten commandments um but you've also got uh, uh logical discourse you've got prophetic literature like you talked about um and each one of those can have specific hermeneutical guidelines to follow right. in order to understand them. You know, and okay, so if you look up hermeneutics online, most most likely you'll hit the Wikipedia page, right? Right. And, uh, and then you'll scan down and you'll find the Christian hermeneutics section. And it'll say, well, there's four main ways that people interpret Scripture. They interpret it literally, morally, allegorically, right? Right. Or uh, anagologically, which is basically in times. Right? Okay. So, so which one do you fall under? It's not that; it's all, right? Right. Uh, sometimes scripture is literal, depending on genre. Sometimes it's moral, depending on genre. Sometimes it's allegorical, depending on genre. Sometimes it's anagological, right? Right. Depending on genre, and so we don't need to like have a flat hermeneutic here. We need to understand what the genre is. That's a good point. Right. So, um, you know, kind of along with this are literary devices yes. that are inside these, these, these books. So, for example, uh, Hebrew poetry. It's, it's interesting to know the various forms of it because there are many different poetic structures. It, this is interesting. I, uh, I was sitting in a, uh, a, a Christian forum and basically, they were doing uh, questions about Genesis, mm-hmm. creation. Right, okay? right. And, uh, and so there were a couple of pastors sitting up there in a PhD in science, and they were doing this whole science versus... Right. Okay, so anyways, um, and they asked us to uh, submit questions via text message, and they would answer them. And so I asked, in what way does Hebrew, the fact that a lot of this is Hebrew poetry fit into your understanding of uh, the creation narrative, mm-hmm. right? And they got that question, and both of the pastors are like, well, I've never really heard that it's Hebrew poetry. Mm-hmm. But it is. It's right, Hebrew poetry, right. right? And so you got to take that into 
take that into consideration when you're reading right. the creation narrative. But there's a lot of scripture actually that's poetic. Yes. And historical. I mean, so yes. so it doesn't one doesn't negate the other. <laughs> right. I agree with you. So um <laughs> I'm just saying. But <laughs> But anyway, there's all this. Um, okay, so you got uh, poetry, you got simile, metaphor, hyperbole. Yeah. All these are figures of speech. Uh, man, there's a great book on this called Figures of Speech by E.W. Bullinger. It's a great read, it's very exhaustive. Um, it, it shows you all these different things that are in the Bible that. Sometimes you're taking it literally when you shouldn't, and sometimes you're taking it figurative when you shouldn't. Right. I mean, you need to really know uh, these figures of speech. Sure. Um, and um, the literal meaning, regard for the literal meaning. So in other words, the author, this kind of goes back to what we were saying. What was the author's intent? The, the author, um, a text should be interpreted with a degree of precision intended by the author. So in other words, don't take something that was meant to be simple and just make it hard. Huh. Like sometimes, like I've heard it been said, let the easy to understand passages help you interpret the hard to understand passages. Not the other way around. Right. Don't take a hard passage like the end of 1 Corinthians 13, you know, where it's really symbolic and it's really strange and, you know, now I see through a glass dark, dimly, but then face to face. And I mean, you, you don't want to take your interpretation of that passage and then start applying it and overriding other scripture, the easy to understand right. scriptures. So and, and that happens a lot of times. People will take uh, their understanding. Well, it says it and I believe it, you know, whatever. They have their own understanding of what this obscure passage means. And then they want to say, well. I don't care what it says over there in this other passage because they contradict now. Right. Um, so you need to look for the simplest answer, I guess is what we're saying. Right. Uh, it's not always all that hard. Right. Don't make it harder than what it is. Exactly. And I think you touched on something else interesting. I don't know if you have this on your list yet. Uh, interpreting Scripture with Scripture. Yes. Very, very good. Because you, Scripture, understand... That in fact I do I have this on here uh, under harmony. Okay. The scriptures harmonize. There's yes. not there's not discrepancy there. You'll hear a lot of people say, "What do you do with all these contradictions in scripture?" They're not they're only contradictions because of the way you're interpreting That's interpreting right. them. That if you go into the, the the Bible with full faith and confidence that the Bible is in harmony with itself, that that the passages may on the surface level look like they are contradicting one another. A great example is James 2 and Romans 4. <laughs> That's so good, yeah. James 2 comes right out and says... Faith without works is dead. Well, well, it says Abraham was justified by his works. Works, yeah. And then you jump over into Romans 4, and it comes right out and says, therefore Abraham, Abraham was not justified by his works, but by his faith. Faith, yep. So is the, are the scriptures disagreeing? I don't think so. It is. It has to do with the understanding of what it is James is trying to convey. What what the he's talking about there, that he is describing the same thing that Paul's describing, but in a different way. Right. So um, two sides of the same coin. Right. So no part of the Bible um, should be interpreted as to contradict another part of the Bible. Yeah. Um, so that, and that's that's important because there are people that that will 
that we'll, they'll jump on one thing and that'll be their verse, their go-to verse or whatever. And their understanding of it may contradict every other passage in the Bible. It doesn't matter. I don't know. That's a hard to understand passage over there that you're reading. Well, no, it's not. It's pretty plain. But because it disagrees with your stance. Yeah, I'll give you a good example. The name it, claim it, the, the uh, you know, prosperity gospel stuff. Yeah, yeah. Right, which which clings to verses basically about how, you know, we prosper in, in God's name, that he gives us the desires of our heart, clings to some of those verses, um, doesn't do a good hermeneutical study on them, and doesn't harmonize with the fact that a little bit past it, you know, if you die for my sake, right, or you in this world you will have trouble, or right. <laughs> all the other verses that are like pretty much take up your cross. Yeah, we, don't, we, we don't spend any time in the book of Job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We don't like that book. It's, yeah, it's not a good book. We It's hard to understand. Yeah, yeah, because that's where everyone goes whenever a, a passage of Scripture disagrees with your with your understanding. Right. Is, it's it's quote-unquote hard to understand at that point. Um but and and so okay, here's another one. Progressive revelation is a good thing to understand. So, in other words, um, the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. Right. So, in other words, as you get closer to the end of the book, now you're going to give the passages in the New Testament more weight, more credence in in your your interpretation of those passages because they deal specifically and directly with the final destination of the soul, right? Mm -hmm. And Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of the prophecies foretold in allegory and shadow and types in the Old Testament. So you wouldn't take an Old Testament reading and interpret it a certain way and then try to make the New Testament fit into it. Right. It's the other way around. The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. Right. So this is something that is that when you go into the Bible, you need to, to consider. A lot of people will say, uh, man, they'll get hung up on one little thing in the Old Testament, and they can't let that thing go. Right. And all of a sudden, it's like it's contradicting everything in the New Testament, but it doesn't matter. And next thing you know, they have a you know a denomination after them. <laughs> yeah, you know, and a weird... Um, a weird hermeneutic that they stick to. Right. So, um, so there are tons of other stuff that we can talk about. Um, there are schools and methods of, of thought that fin- here's the one thing I want to make clear because I know we've been a lot real wordy and we've been talking a lot of, and I want it to be clear to know, we're not saying the Bible's hard to understand. No, that's not what we're saying at all. We're not saying you've got to have a degree to do it. We're not saying, please do not get that from what we're saying. Right. What we're saying is be diligent. Yeah. You know, and today it is very easy for us to be diligent. Mm-hmm. It's easy for us. We have apps. We have the internet. Yes. We have um, all sorts of commentaries mm-hmm. that have done a lot of work for you. Right. We have Greek uh, in your interlinear New Testament, so you can look up words. <clears throat> it is not hard. It, it really is not hard to become a good Bible scholar. Right in today's society, you know, and you got to go back to. You don't have to dig through a library full of books. You can word no, search. You that's can do, right. And there's all kinds of stuff. So many helps, and I think that we're going to be held to a higher standard because of that. Really, honestly. Well, and honestly, but, it goes to exactly what uh, this this uh, what I just mentioned that progressive revelation. It didn't just end at the time of Jesus. I believe that that 
there are truths about the Bible that we understand a lot more fully now than, say, they did in the Dark Ages. That's right. So, I mean, there there are truths that keep coming to light because we constantly have people studying yes. this. And I believe that the Bible is supernatural and that it continues to teach us, it continues to reveal to us, and it will continue to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe that the many tools that we have at our disposal adds to that. Right. Uh, but, you know, even, say, 100 years ago, the Great Depression era, when, when here in America there was a lot of poor people and there, was, right. and there was a lot, wasn't a lot of education and everyone was reading a 400-year-old translation and they didn't know all those old English words. They wrote hymns like, uh, Today I have a... <laughs> oh. a I'm satisfied. Tempted and tried. <laughs> I'm going to go back down that Sorry, path. Sorry, go ahead. So... Uh, but but yeah okay so let's let's spend just a few minutes because uh, we've been going on for a while let's spend a few minutes talking about bad hermeneutics okay Be- because it's real easy to have a bad hermeneutic so and this hits my my number one thing I want wanted to express um, so I because we were, were on this topic I I started looking up some old school hermeneutical uh, geniuses and the very first person to write a book. On hermeneutics is, of course, Augustine, right? Yes. On biblical interpretation is is the name, and you can, or no, on Christian doctrine is the name of, of uh, this book. You actually pull it up online and read Augustine's hermeneutic uh, work, and it's mm-hmm. great, and it's very simple, and it's very straightforward. But here's the thing that he stresses more than anything, and this, this leads us into bad hermeneutics. Um, he stresses that. His number one stress is you must enter scripture humbly. Amen. And and that is the, <laughs> the biggest thing, because if you don't enter scripture humbly, and what he means by that is enter scripture with the mind, and this is what he says, basically, with a mindset that you don't know anything, but by the Holy Spirit who's been placed inside you when you go to the living word, is what he calls it, the living mm-hmm. word, by the Holy Spirit, when you when you read and you study faithfully, objectively, with no desire for personal pushing, no desire for putting your own mindset or your own thoughts to it, mm-hmm. that God is going to reveal and open up what Scripture means. He says, but the, the number one thing is you must remain humble. Approach Scripture like you don't know anything and... And don't try to push, put yourself into or put your own ideas or your own thoughts or your own um, belief systems into Scripture, but let Scripture be Scripture and speak as, you know, as what it says. Mm-hmm. And that, I think that's the number one problem in, in misinterpreting Scripture. We want to be right. Yeah, we do. And, and those of us who are born and raised no. in, a, in a tradition, in a Christian tradition of some sort, think that our little flavor's right, because that's what we've been taught our whole life. When we've been taught that the guy over there on the other side of the street, uh, that guy's wrong. Yeah. And here's why. And and most of the time, it's a complete misunderstanding of what the other person on the other side even of the street believes, even yeah. believes. It, it, it's, it's like a caricature of what that person <laughs> right. really believes. Um, so, yeah, it, that is a number one. If you want to put anything at the top of this list of how to study the Bible, how to, how to understand the Bible... That has to be number one. 
why just forget all your preconceived notions? <laughs> and it's so funny. I've tried to, to, to talk with people that I know that are like freaks about some of this stuff. And I'm and like, look, no, you're bringing your ideas to the table. You need to let those go and just read the passage. And uh, I had one guy ask me one time, well, what happens whenever, if, if I uh, read the scriptures completely objectively and come to the exact same spot I'm at now? I'm like, uh, then that tells me you're the most arrogant person in the world. <laughs> <laughs> well, because... What what he's basically saying is, I've already been down that path, right. and I never had to change. Right. I already had the right answers. Um, and that is a stance of pride. And uh, drop that stuff right. and, and get on your knees and, and be completely objective about what you're reading um, because it will lead to bad hermeneutics, yeah. if not. Because if you've got an axe to grind, you're going to... okay. This is part of, of my issue, my past. I used to study the Bible for one reason, and that was to prove other people wrong. Mm. To be honest, that's, I mean, sure, there was some passages I really enjoyed and I really, you know, but no, no, my real reason for spending time in the scriptures was to show somebody else that their doctrinal stance they didn't have it. is incorrect. Yeah. And, um, and I'm not the only one. I've been reading some of these these blogs of people talking about the exact same stuff. Um, I want to read one uh, by a guy named Matt Dabbs. And he, he said, The reason you go to Scripture often has an effect on how you read Scripture. In my experience growing up, the goal of turning to Scripture was oftentimes about refuting what other people had to say about various points of doctrine. Yep. You turn to Scripture in order to make a legal-type case for one doctrine against other doctrines. The hermeneutic I grew up with uh, was most often deployed to ascertain that information from Scripture, and it's called the CINI method, which stands for Command, Example, and Necessary Inference. Hmm. And uh, I believe Michael mentioned this, this hermeneutic last week, and I'm very familiar with it as well. Um, but, the, but the whole idea is you're going into Scripture with this already preconceived notion that God, that God's after complete flawlessness in understanding and practice. And if you vary outside of what his goal for you is, you're damned. Huh. You're going to miss the boat if you don't get it right. So you better get it right. And so this, this preconceived notion goes into this, and, and that notion comes from, you know, we studied about Nadab and Abihu a few episodes ago. Sure. Part of that comes from a misunderstanding about why Nadab and Abihu died, that it was because they brought strange fire, which was not approved, not authorized by God. And so the idea becomes, oh, well, we make sure we don't do that. Right. And so then it becomes, well, we, we better, let's make up a hermeneutic that we can go to the Bible and know that what we're practicing is either authorized by God or it is not authorized by God. Yeah. So if that is your main purpose and you're missing the gospel message itself because the <laughs> go back and listen to our episode on cleanliness because that's what Native and by whose problem was. It wasn't that they were doing something unauthorized, although it was not authorized. That's not why they died. Yeah. They died because they were unclean yeah. in the presence of God. And the veil's been torn since then. This, goes, right. this goes back again to, once again, picking out something out of the Old Testament and then trying to apply it to New Testament standards. Yeah. It doesn't fit 
the New Testament is is that revealed. So in the, under the New Testament, the veil's torn. We've been made clean through Jesus Christ, right? And no longer have to worry about strange, strange fire, fire anymore yeah. because it's it 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 there is nothing that can make us unclean under the blood of Jesus. Yeah. So um so with this command example necessary inference thing here's what it's basically saying every time i read the bible i'm looking for either a command to follow i'm looking for an example that the new, that the new testament apostles or somebody in the scriptures was doing because that means if they were doing it it's, it's okay, okay to do right. but if they weren't doing it then it's not okay and if there is something in between there that i just can't quite figure it out let's see what would god decide on this given his other examples right so then that's what is referred to as necessary inference which is way subjective yeah i mean i can put anything in that box right really and and so this mostly i give a little history of this because there's going to be people probably listening to the podcast that know about this sinning method and they're going to get really offended that i'm saying this (laughs) so let me please bear with me for a minute because let's let's do a little history of the sinning method the the sinning hermeneutic thing it goes back to John Calvin. John Calvin started this ball roll. <laughs> really? <laughs> yes. Because, okay, so John Calvin was part of the Re- Reformation movement away from the Catholic sure. Church. Okay? And so um, the idea was we don't want to prescribe to Catholic practices. We want to, to be Scripture. So he's the one who kind of talked about, okay, well, in our worship practices, let's only do these things that are exampled. Let's only do these things that are specifically commanded of us. So he started that ball rolling. Um, the, the faith heritage I come from uh, really got its modern-day roots from a guy by the name of Thomas Campbell yeah. and his son Alexander. Campbellites. Yeah. And then you've got a guy by the name of Barton Stone that joined the party a little bit later. All three of these guys were Presbyterians. Right. Okay? So although they discounted Tulip and, and several of the Calvinism things of the day, um, they still held on to some of their old Presbyterian, uh, roots. Presbyterian roots, their traditions. And yeah. part of that was this, we worship according to command, example, and then where the scriptures are fuzzy, we'll infer what should should go in there. And it only applied to worship. That was the only use for it back in the Presbyterian days. But now it has it has continued to evolve and to continue to grow to where it basically applies to everything, every scripture we we look at. And so what it's doing is it's causing us to look at passages like um and I don't want to get all overly controversial, but but we look at passages that say something like, okay, 1 Corinthians 16 says, lay by and store upon the first day of the week as you've been prospered. Right. That's an imperative statement, so we're going to read that as a command. Okay? So to me today, modern day Christian, that's telling me i got to put money in the plate when it comes by at church. Right. According to what you make. Right. right. Okay, so, um, but where it's inconsistent is, let's go to Romans 16, 16. Or sixteen fifteen. It says there. It says, "Greet one another with a holy kiss." And that's an <laughs> imperative statement. You didn't kiss me when I walked in. Yeah, I did day. not kiss you whenever you walked in. Here. I'm kind of hurt by that, and I think God is so, too. So that's a command. <laughs> if, if we're gonna if we're gonna hold ourselves to this level, if this is the way we understand the Bible, and this is the, then that's a command, and it has to be performed exactly like that every single time. And of course, people go, "That's silliness." 
Well, it's not silliness, it's consistency. Right. With the hermeneutic that you've chosen. Right. So, um, so you know, and of course, then there are people who will say, well, you know, the handshake, it means the same thing. <laughs> well, in, in a way, you're actually heading down the right path because now you're looking at culture. Yeah. And you're going, oh, okay, wait a minute. The Jewish culture was to greet one another with a kiss. Our culture is to maybe shake hands. So maybe you should take what you did there <laughs> and, and, and do that in, in other places as well. Sure. So I guess my point is that if that is your hermeneutic, if that is the only thing that your hermeneutic is... Um, it's a flat hermeneutic. It's a flat hermeneutic. You, you need to dive deeper because we don't do things that were exampled by them all the time. Right. We don't meet house to house daily in the temple. We 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 don't bring all of our We don't go to synagogue. Yeah. We there's all these other things that that were exampled by them that we don't do. There are things that we do that weren't exampled and right. weren't commanded. There's you got to ditch your church buildings. Yeah. Because there's no example, there's no command and there's no inference in any way about a church building. Right. In fact, I've heard people condemn small studies and stuff that happen in people's homes because they're not in a sanctified place or whatever. They're in the home. It was like, well, that's what's exampled right. in the scripture. There is no <laughs> sanctified except for the so, temple or the synagogue. Right. And of course it all depends on on your on your on your understanding of all this and your your tradition. Right. As to as to how much weight you give each one of these things. Yeah. But anyway, that's just one um that's just one hermeneutic that you need to expand on. You need you need to 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 listen to some of what we were talking about before about cultural and and the 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 literary devices and make sure you're cognizant of what it is that we're trying to get out of the Bible. It's not just about trying to find out what to do and what not to do. Well, and in fact, that that brings me to Augustine's other second major point. All of Scripture can be brought down to a couple main themes, just a couple main points, mm-hmm. he says, basically. And, and he's absolutely right. The number one is the gospel. All of Scripture can be brought down to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, yes. And the other <clears> thing <throat> is, which leads us to walking in love with God and with others. Which go bigger than that? What exactly? What Jesus said? <laughs> I mean, that's pretty much it. When he says, "If there's any other command, it hangs upon these two things." Right. So, so yeah, that's that's what it's all about. Is about uh, uh, loving God and about loving one another. Right. And of course, you can always twist that stuff up in crazy ways. I've heard people say, "Well, you know what? My disfellowship in that group over there is love for them." Because it's 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 tough love punishment. Yeah, it's, it's tough love. Uh, no, it's not. It's just <laughs> hatred in their eyes. They're not seeing it as as tough love. Right. Oh, you're chastising them by ruining you know ruining your relationship with them. Right. Ooh, that's tough, buddy. Really, what you're doing is hurting yourself, mm-hmm. and and that's it. So so in so in short, I guess our our hermeneutic is very important because it can not only help us to understand scriptures if we're using a good hermeneutic. But it will also hurt our understanding of God, our love for one another, our unity with one another, and many other aspects of our Christian walk that that God really expects from us, that Jesus expects from us. Our bad hermeneutic can destroy that. That's right. If we if we think that all God you know is wanting from us is a bunch of, of of mindless obedient 
you know, servants, and he doesn't, he doesn't branch anywhere outside of that, well, we are totally missing the whole yeah. point of the gospel. And and That's so, good. so anyway, it's uh, hermeneutics is a big word, but it's it's really not that confusing, right? It might sound like it, but it's really pretty simple, and it boils down to really to what Augustine was saying, right? Go to Scripture with humility, let the Spirit well, speak to you, and it boils down to the gospel and loving God and yeah. loving others. Dump your mind <laughs> yeah. and, and, and go to Who the Who knows? You know, that was written in 370 A.D., and it's so pertinent today. I know. Go figure. <laughs> That's great. Anyways, that's all I got to say about right, that. You got some news? Yeah, let's do it. And now, the news. Well, you know that most of my news is based off of either one of two events, either the Pokemon Go thing or uh, Black Lives <laughs> Matter, so let's just jump into it. Right. Two guys in California actually fell off a cliff playing Pokemon Go. <laughs> nice. It says right there when you start the app, <laughs> be cognizant of your whereabouts or whatever. <laughs> two men were near the beach in Encientas, in, in, uh, in north of San Diego, when they fell off the cliff while trying to catch Pokemon, one of the men fell about 80 feet onto the beach and the other fell 50 feet uh, directly down from the cliff. Both were taken to a nearby trauma center with the undisclosed injuries and officials haven't released their ages. This is wow. one of several incidents that have happened since the release of the art, uh, augmented reality game last week. The National Safety Council recently released a statement asking players to be cautious while playing when walking and urging drivers it's a, not to play while behind the wheel. It's sad when you have to tell people to use some common sense. Right. It's so funny. Watch where you're walking, please. Yeah, while playing your Pokemon Go. Okay. This weekend, Westboro Baptist Church was controlled by the LGBT activists on Pokemon Go. <laughs> I heard this. This is odd. Pokemon Go is a sensation around the world with players actively trying to catch them all. The game connects to a phone's GPS and sends them out to collect Pokemons. <laughs> it's led some to uh, it's led to some strange news so far, including this one. An LGBTQ activist has been battling to take control of Westboro Baptist Church since this weekend. The Westboro Baptist Church is listed as a gym in Pokemon Go, meaning people can fight to control it. So this weekend, a player whose Pokemon nicknamed Love is Love took over the gym. <laughs> <laughs> wow I think that's so hilarious <laughs> I imagine Westboro's like Alright we gotta play this Pokemon thing To win back our stupid gym Cause these <laughs> LGBT Guys are... Wait, And it's also really interesting It's leading Pokemon it, Did you see the other uh, news I don't have it pulled up The other news article Pokemon is leading people to church Yeah because they've made all these churches Pokey stops Yeah where you go Our church to is power a Pokemon up. stop Which yeah. is really neat So yeah you walk there And then you spin the thing So you know a lot of people are like uh, You know going to churches now Yeah Thanks Pokemon I've even seen articles about telling churches how to capitalize on this, like right. when people come. To- <laughs> it's crazy. All right, so 21 police officers injured and more than 100 protesters arrested in Minnesota this weekend. 
Um, the injuries were mostly caused by fireworks, rocks, bricks, glass bottles, pieces of concrete being thrown directly at officers. One officer had a concrete block dropped on his head and is suffering from a spinal fracture. Several law enforcement agencies were on the scene of the protest. The officers reported injured were from a mixture of agencies. The protest blocked Interstate 94 in St. Paul for more than five hours before officers were able to move them off the highway by beginning arrests after after tear gas, inert smoke, and marking rounds failed to get the crowd to disperse. Wow. Man, our uh, our country is in turmoil with this thing. Yep. It's horrible. You know, and we being close to Dallas, uh, of course, for the news about the five that, that died, the um, police officers who died because of uh, a lone sniper during a protest, and it's just, uh, we're in a bro. Yeah, and, you know, I was... I got the the blessing of actually being in Dallas the day after that. Yeah, and um, the, I say a blessing because there was a a vigil, a prayer vigil at uh, Thanksgiving Square the next day at noon, and so I I'd, I saw some uh, some things happening in the street. It's like two blocks from where I was at. Yeah. So um, I saw some turmoil in the street, and I'm like, what in the world's going on? I looked it up and saw that they were doing this prayer rally, so I decided to run down there, and wow. So it's such a blessing. It was like the park was flooded with people to listen to. Um, the mayor was there. Um, the chief of police spoke. Um, also, T.D. Jakes oh, wow. was there, and he prayed and, and gave this really moving speech and prayer. Uh, it was just, and, the, and several other local pastors and ministers yeah. offered prayers as well. And uh, it was... It was just really cool. At, at one point, um, during T.D. Jakes' prayer, he asked, you know, doesn't matter if, you, if, you, if you're with me in this belief or not, grab the person's hand next to you, and we're going to spend a little time talking <laughs> to God. And so all these strangers in the park holding hands, you know, praying, and, and uh, it was just really moving. It's amazing. In the midst of turmoil, the gospel spreads. Always, mm-hmm. and I think that this is a you know it's a, it's a rough time in our nation's um, history, but it, it's also a time where we need to show love mm-hmm. and compassion to everyone. Yeah, and whether or not they're adamant about what's going on, or whether or not they're you know um, on one side or the other, our goal is to meet them right there and to love them no matter what. Yep. So you know, and spread the gospel doing that. I believe that uh, that the basis of our understanding of equality needs to be the fact that we're created in the image of God. Mm-hmm. And so we can take that message to the streets and really um, change the world with it right now. So we need to be doing that. But. Yeah. Uh, last thing, um, Russian President Vladimir Putin recently approved a series of amendments to several surveillance and anti-terrorism laws, including one that bans people from evangelizing outside of a church. The amendment would even ban Russians from inviting friends to church over email or telephone and discussing faith anywhere that isn't the confines of a uh, recognized church building. Wow. So pray for our brothers and sisters in Russia who want to tell their friends about Jesus mm-hmm. and can't do it outside of a church. So what they need to do is, hey, um, you know, come eat lunch with me over at this building. Right. 
Oh, it's a church. So, okay, yeah. while we're in here. <laughs> no, I'm joking. But uh, that's all I've got. No Pope news, no uh, this day in church history because oh, wow. it's really slow. But anyways. All right, well, you want to do some trivia right quick? Bring it on, Cupcake. <laughs> All right, we want to pick up where we left off last week? Yeah, let's do it. All right, so I'm on prophecy then. Okay. Other than the sealed servants of God, what are the locusts in Revelation specifically forbidden to damage? Don't touch my hair. I have no idea. I am not. This one's tricky. What were they? What were they told not to damage? Yeah. Besides the prophets themselves, right? Right. Um, I am going to say. I got no clue. <laughs> so just give it to me. Grass and or greenery. Wow. Revelations 9-4. Wow. Makes no sense. Grass. Don't eat the grass. Yeah, don't eat the grass. <laughs> Stay off the lawn. <laughs> locusts. The locusts are like, that was the best food we had. Yeah, exactly. We were, we were going to chow down on some grass. I'm going to eat people because of that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. Okay, uh, you were you on history and geography? Yeah. Okay. In what town did the angel Gabriel visit Mary to tell her about her forthcoming immaculate conception? Oh, it's immaculate. It was immaculate that time. Was it Nazareth? Oops, sorry, that was the wrong button. <laughs> you got it right. Yes, it was Nazareth. Awesome. Nazareth. Every Nazareth. time I say that fast, it comes out Nazareth. <laughs> I don't know what the deal is. Nazareth. Naz- All right. Nazareth. Here we go, another uh, prophecy, right? Yes, lay it on me. Which Old Testament prophet prophesied as recorded in the New Testament? The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straighteth, by thine handeth. Okay, I was only half listening. So what was the what was the question again? <clears throat> Which Old Testament prophet prophesied as recorded in the New Testament, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare I, ye the way I'm going to say Isaiah. That's correct, Seth. Okay, he was referring to John the Baptist. That's right. Okay, so you're on prophecy now. Yeah, bring it. Which book, written after the fact, reveals the fulfillment of Jeremiah's prophecy that Judah would serve Babylon 70 years. Daniel. 
It's not Daniel. No, that's Ezekiel. What, that's what I would have said too. No, it was uh, Second Chronicles. Oh. Actually, Second Chronicles thirty-eight. But I mean, Daniel's technically 21. correct also because it's the actual narrative of that time. Yeah, let's see what exactly does the question say. Um, which book written after the fact? Oh, after the fact. Reveals There's the my little clue. Those tricky, tricky people. <laughs> After the fact. Whatevs. All right, ready to get out of here? Hermeneutically, I was correct. <laughs> yes, I'm ready. The Theonauts are part of the Great Commission Transmission Network, using new media and social networking to go into all the world and proclaim the good news to everyone. To find out more, go to gctnetwork.com, subscribe to the newsletter, and stay up to date with all our shows, including Finding Christ in Cinema and The Worship Show. Visit our website at theonautpodcast.com for show outlines and notes. Also, please join us in praying for one another. You can anonymously confess sins and pray for each other at prayer.theonautspodcast.com. There are several ways to contact us and to leave us feedback. Send us email to theonauts at gctnetwork.com or call us on our voicemail line at 972-885-7270. Give us a listen there on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or your favorite podcast catcher. Don't forget to leave us comments and rate us as it helps our show reach a larger audience. Tweet to us on Twitter using at Theonautical. Like us on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Theonauts. And don't forget to tune in again to explore the vast reaches of God's Word with us. Hey, one thing before we get out of here. Yes. Ask the Theonauts. Yes. So Jeremiah and I want to do an Ask the Theonauts thing. <laughs> this would be really fun. So here's our proposed idea. Next month, we will do an, a show dedicated to your questions. I want you to think about anything that you've ever pondered about Scripture, God, the universe. And it can be passive-aggressive, whatever. <laughs> right. <laughs> However you want to ask us and whatever you want to ask us is on the table. We want to hear from you, our listeners. And the idea is we get some feedback, and you guys maybe get an answer fulfilled from our idea. So yeah, From our own hermeneutic. Uh, for our, from our own hermeneutic. <laughs> so uh, send us messages. You can do that um, through theonauts at gctnetwork.com. You can call us on the voice line, 972-885-7270. Yeah. We'll save those babies up. That's right. And uh, and then, or you can even leave us a message on Facebook if you'd like to do that, however you want to do it. But uh, we'll save them up, and then at the end of uh, this coming month, we will... We'll do our own Bible answer Bible show. answer guy. Yeah, whatever. The Bible answer knots. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways. All right, thanks for being here, Jeremiah. Thank you, David. All right, God bless. This has been the Theonauts Podcast. Call us with your questions or comments at 972-885-7270. That's 972-885-7270. We'd love to hear from you. You are tuned in to the GCT Network. This is your Great Commission Transmission. At GCTNetwork.com. What's that? Oh, look, it's Jesus. And he said, stop it!